Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 156. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Welcome to September. Welcome to a very fun month on Monorail Radio. We are starting to finally catch up the show with some of the new releases from 2021. And we are starting with Raya and the Last Dragon. We were so excited to see this film and to discuss this film because actually we had Disney animator Andrew Ford on with us when we were getting ready for Frozen 2. He sat with us and discussed his work on that film and in that interview he mentioned that this was the next thing coming. Of course, it didn't get released on time because all of the events of 2020, which we don't need to launch into again, but I was so excited that we not only got to see this, but we got to see it in a movie theater. And I think that that's really important because as great as the movie is, and it's almost not fair to say because I don't want it to take away from the movie. As great as the movie is, you do lose something seeing it on a 42-inch screen versus seeing it in a movie theater. Agreed. This film was highly anticipated from the time that Andrew told us about it. It was even more anticipated when it got pushed back and it was well worth the wait seeing it on a big screen. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. 500 years ago, Kumandra and its people lived in peace alongside dragons until the Druun arrived and turned humans and dragons into stone. Sisu, the last dragon, used a gem containing the magic of her family members to vanquish the Droon and save everyone except for the dragons, and she herself went into seclusion. Kumandra then went into a civil war over the dragon gem because they wanted it for its magic. Fast forward 500 years, we are introduced to the spunky Raya who becomes a guardian of the dragon gem, in the kingdom of Heart, along with her father. He is a guardian as well. Her father tells her all of the nations are joining them for a peaceful meal in order to live in unity. She meets uh, Namari from Fang, and the two become quick friends until she double-crosses Raya and, expo- and exposes the dragon gem to the other nations, who break the gem into pieces, releasing the drone, which turns people, including Raya's father, into stone. Six years later in the Land of Tail, Raya is in search of Sisu. She frees Sisu upon finding her and tells her that she is still the last dragon and that the gem broke because Sisu thinks that only a few hours has passed and perhaps her family is back. She has no idea that this much time has passed. Upon touching Raya's gem piece, Sisu glows as she takes on her sister's magic and they realize that if she touches all of the pieces, she can save Kumandra again. They retrieve the tail piece but are tracked down by Numari and her men. Thankfully, Sisu can shapeshift into a human at this point. So she and Raya escape and meet Boone who offers to take them 
to Talon by boat for a fee. We also learn that the Droon is made of human discord set on destroying everything. At Talon, Raya has her gem pieces stolen by a con baby. She's a con artist, but she's a child. But gets the pieces back and pays the child to serve as a distraction while she steals a third gem piece from Deng Hai. But he has been turned into stone and a chief posing as a sweet old woman, has stolen it and threatens to feed Sisu to the Droon, but Raya rescues her and steals the gem piece. Back at Fang, Numare has organized the royal army to intercept Raya at Spine and steal her gem pieces. At Spine, Sisu is set on proving to Raya that people can learn to trust each other, but they are instead captured by Tong, a spine warrior. They are set free by Boon and the child as Numari and the army arrive. Tong, Sisu, Boon, and the child escape while Raya fights Numari. Sisu exposes herself as a dragon to everyone and then saves Raya. They return to Heart where Sisu shows Raya her family, which was turned to stone, and they are still stone, of course. She tells Raya that it was there that the dragon gem was created and convinces her to try and reason with Namari, who is at Fang trying to convince her mother that Sisu can reunite Kumandra, but her mother fears that once they all return, they will go after Fang for what has happened. We also learn that the child's name is Noi. Namari and Raya meet, but Namari pulls a crossbow on them and demands that she takes Sisu and the gem pieces. Numari, quote-unquote, accidentally shoots Sisu, who falls off a cliff, and the Droon attacks Fang. Upon seeing her mother in a stone shape, Numari fights Raya, who is blinded by her own rage. Boon, Noi, and Tong use their gem pieces to save people and temporarily keep the Droon at bay. Realizing she carries equal blame for Sisu's death, Raya joins them in fighting the Droon instead of Numari. Eventually, uh, Numari joins them, but as the gem's magic wears off, the Droon gets closer and closer. Realizing they need to put the gem back together, Raya gives Numari her piece before being turned into stone, followed by Boon, Noi, and Tong. Numari puts the gem pieces back together and is turned into stone until the gem comes back to life, destroying the uh, Droon, saving everyone, including Sisu and her family, and Kumandra is reunited once and for all alongside the dragons. Okay, so on paper... That might be the longest plot you've ever done. It, it it's been the it's been the longest one I've done for a long, long time. Um, there is an awful lot going on to start this movie, but what I think they do well is they're very quick to get into the action. Right, like the movie starts basically with a narrative, and you see, I I don't want to call it um I don't want to call it a flashback per se. I don't want to call it a montage, but it is it, it's it's very quick clips showing you the history that gets them up to this point. They move through 500 years very fast is my point. That sequence is absolutely stunning, though, as Raya is explaining what Kumandra was, uh, the way that they incorporated all of these shapes and patterns, which you can tell was heavily influenced by Southeast Asia. I mean, they they from the jump started pulling the setting into this film. Uh, but I just love this whole sequence, the way it sort of opens up 
like a pop-up book almost. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just gorgeous. The colors, the patterns, everything about it had me hooked. Um, and then for me, this movie went to so many unexpected places. I think what I was sort of expecting was Mulan. I really thought it was going to be obviously female driven and she was going to carry the weight of her family on her shoulders. And I thought the dragon was going to come, Sisu was going to come into play much like Mushu did. That's not to say that this is uh, a story of Chinese heritage like Mulan, but I kind of thought there were going to be those types of parallels. And I remember after this opening sequence, just watching this film and going, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. Because the movie opens almost like an Indiana Jones. Yes. When when she is in the temple, you think that she is there to steal the dragon gem. You don't realize that it's her final piece of training with her father. Right. That is such a great bait and switch because when they reveal that it is her father... I sort of thought this film was coming out too strong out of the gate. And again, trying to be like a Mulan, but instead of showing her training, they were just going to start her like fully formed, ready to fight. And I was like, how are they going to do this over the next 90 minutes to two hours where she's just taking people down? So I again, this was the first place where I realized this film was not, at all what I thought it was going to be. And it just totally caught me by surprise. So we get out of this, this, I don't, I, again, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a palace, a castle, whatever it is. I don't, I'm not going to call it a dungeon. I kept thinking the inner circle because they're protecting, it, it's some sort of circle to Temple, protect the, dre- whatever, the gem. They come out of it and the colors are insane. It sort of echoes what you were saying before because I think the landscapes, this is like the first time you really do see the landscape uh, of heart at the very least. And it's absolutely spectacular. Even the temple is stunning when she's going through and you get that sort of decaying tunnel. Then where the gem piece is, is beautiful and it doesn't stop there because then heart is revealed and it's, it's just, Gorgeous. It reminded me in a weird way of Wakanda, sort of how you're not expecting a reveal like that. Um, but it's just so lush and beautiful. And it's, it's what amazes me is how much it feels like a real place in fantastical world at the same time, which I mean, obviously is what they're going for because Kumandra and the kingdoms that it eventually breaks down to are all fictitious, but you can really see where the the design influence is. And it's funny that you said uh, Wakanda, because when you see heart, and you see obviously that there is a mountain that is meant to look like a heart, I immediately think of Pandora at Animal Kingdom. Like, it looks real. Now, of course, this is kind of odd to say, because we can actually go see a Pandora at Animal Kingdom. But before that existed, you see it on the screen. It feels like something that exists, yet you know it's fantastical. To me, it's almost the same thing as comparing it to a Wakanda. If Chapek wants to do something to redeem himself, it will be to incorporate... Quit. Ry- Quit. <laughs> I was going to say, but if he wants to make one last stand, start incorporating Raya into Animal Kingdom and... 
he will not be absolved of all of his sins, but you can take a W on that one. Then we're going to give you a churro for your efforts and say, on your way, <laughs> sir. Which brings me to the next thing that I love about this movie. The entire share a meal thing. Right, uh, The whole premise that her father, wise beyond his years, instead of fighting because she thinks they're bringing them all together to go to war, he says, we're going to share a meal together. We're going to have a peaceful meal together. I know that this is a big deal within the Asian culture. It's a big deal in a lot of cultures, right? Like, you're Italian. You guys had family dinner on Sunday, right? Like Sunday pasta. So this is a, this is a thing that I think transcends cultures, but... Because Disney was so careful and so meticulous in really paying homage and being very delicate with the cultures that they are referencing here, I love that this is where they went with it. And I think it's an important lesson for Raya to learn. For sure. I love the symbolism of the soup that her father's making. Not only has he invited all of the different territories to come together to share the meal, as you said, but what he is making is a product from each of the different lands to show how they can come together and make something beautiful. Because when Raya first learns that they're coming, she's like, okay, I'm going to do this and you're going to take this and this is how we're going to fight them. Right out of the gate, she's ready to go into battle mode because she only knows these other people as enemies. And what's more is that she knows all of their weaknesses because as she's going through each fang talon uh she's telling her father about their leader and what the point of weakness is um so i think that's interesting and it's really great character development because this is where we also see raya's trust issues and it's not just about her character but it blends character with the overall theme of the movie and that was, again, something that I wasn't expecting because uh, the way that they explore all of these different facets of learning to trust, they start as a child. And I just thought that that was so interesting how it develops over the course of the film because really trust is one of the hardest things that you have to learn as a human being because it's not really something that you can just do. It's something you have to experience. Like, you kind of have to get it wrong to know what it is. Yeah, you really can't explain it to somebody, right? But I feel like this film does such a good job of pinpointing it. And this is really the first step because Raya doesn't trust right away. Her father does. Her father wants to believe the best in, in humanity, and she just doesn't know any better and she's not ready to do it. She's just so zeroed in on they're the enemies. Yeah. I mean, I, I what I think this does well is that it introduces you to the exact person that Raya is. And it also provides a springboard for how she will grow throughout the movie. But seeing as her father spends 95% of this movie as a stone statue, I think that it's, it's even more important for him because we have to grow attached to somebody and believe in somebody that, for the most part, we're never going to hear from again. Right. And, of course, this is setting up his cause and her motivation to carry it out. What they then do, even better, is flip that idea on its head because you have the introduction of 
Namari, and she becomes the gateway for Fang. So you see these two girls of the same age who have similar interests. Um, and it goes beyond even more than sharing a love of Sisu. When they're talking about food, uh, they have this conversation about rice. And Raya's like, what do you like better, the, the broth or the rice or whatever it is? And yeah, yeah. Namari says, we don't really have rice where I'm from. And Raya is so excited to meet someone that's just like her. And she's excited to have her f a friend. She lets her guard down for a second. So uh, now we've got this little dip your toes in the water of trust. And it totally bites her. Well, you know from the jump, right, that you can't trust Namari. I thought when when we saw it the first time, I didn't buy into this. She's going to make a new friend. I thought it was too good to be true. I knew that Hart was going to get double crossed in some capacity, but I really thought it was going to be her father. And he does. And he pays a very large price for that. But. I didn't assume the worst about Namari. She kept me guessing. I mean, with the necklace, I think that that was too easy that she just gave it to Raya. But then she shows her the map and everything. So I went back and forth quite a bit. I don't think that it's as obvious as Hans of the Southern Isles. Uh, no. that See, and I didn't think Hans was all that obvious when we saw it. The first time, I trusted Hans. I did not trust Numari here. I mean, I guess that's because you're waiting for a double cross. You're waiting because you know she's going to try and free these dragons, but it has to be for a reason more than she's a kid that just likes them. Right. So I'm not saying it was the movie wasn't predictable, but I didn't get the sense that I could trust her. Something that I want to touch on here because I mentioned before, they really wanted to get and be sensitive to getting Asian culture right. When Raya and Namari go to see the Dragon Gem, they take their shoes off before they enter this temple. And I think that if you're not really paying attention, it's something you can miss. But it is something that I actually, absolutely love that Disney... I mean, we know Disney takes great pride and care with most of the movies that they do. I say most because Artemis Fowl. Um, but <laughs> I think in this case, because you're trying to represent a culture and you're trying to do it the right way, I love the fact that this is that extra care they took in this movie. Right. And they also did bring on a much more diverse cast and crew. So that's why, you know, doing something like that and being inclusive is so important because the filmmakers might not have otherwise known about that, no matter how much research they did. And I'm, I'm not saying that Disney does not do thorough research. Don't get me wrong, but it's just something that I would have never known. I didn't even know really until Andrew told us when we interviewed him again um, before this release. And you know, it's just amazing that they took so much care to do something like that. And they do it several times. Anytime Raya entered the uh, the gem... The temple. We'll just temple, call it the temple. Sure. Uh, she does take her shoes off. She did it in the first sequence where she completes her training. She did it with Namari. Um, yeah, and it's just that subtle attention to detail. 
now they exit. Well, it's not even that they exit. They're in the Temple of Druun. That's what we're going to call it. The, the te- Temple of Druun. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. And I'm down with that. Namari sets off a firework, and that's what signals her mother this is where the gem is. So when they come, in starts the war, the gem breaks. What happens next is so incredibly brutal when the Droon attacks the first time. Because you don't know you don't only lose her father, who throws her off a bridge and into a river to save her. But you get the destruction of this beautiful landscape. I mean, we talked about it before. You have such a beautiful place that it's it's like when Pride Rock basically uh, deteriorates. deteriorates down to just dirt. That's essentially what happens here. Visually, it's really difficult to watch because we've spent 10 or 15 minutes rambling on about how gorgeous this film is. And in about two minutes of screen time, it gets destroyed. Uh but they do unfold everything so well because really it starts with Raya and Namari's relationship where that's a microcosm of what's going on yeah. throughout the former Kumandra. And then the gem shattering. That is so evergreen and yet so timely and poignant for what's going on right now. This movie, I mean, I I really don't want to keep dragging up the pandemic, but this really did come at the perfect time because that is something that we've dealt with a lot in the past year is trusting people. Who can you trust? What advice, what medical advice do you trust? What do you believe in? Uh, So to see that unfold in such a visually stunning way, it just really hit home. And then to see her father, even though he doesn't actually die, and this is a rare Disney parent that we get back, uh, it's still one of the most gut-wrenching things I think we've seen because of the way that he sacrifices himself for Raya. Well, not just that. It's everything that they do to set him up, you know, up to that point in time. I'm not going to repeat myself, just how they developed him as we can trust and there should be peace and there should be unity and we're going to lead the way. All of that in conjunction with the sacrifice really builds up to being a very brutal, difficult scene to sit through. All right, now we fast forward six years and Raya finds Sisu, which is great. Sisu's very funny. She gets tracked down by Numari. And I'm jumping forward a little bit here before... I kind of want to address the elephant in the room. Because I know that where people had issue with the movie... This... some, Some people had some issue with story. I don't have issue with story. What I have issue with is some of the dialogue. From Raya specifically. I really like Raya as a character, but some of the quote-unquote tough guy lines, they just feel a little forced, they feel a little 101, and they feel dated because they're forced and they're 101. She's a little quippy. But like too much. 
at times I agree with that. Um, that's something that you have to wonder though is because of the way that they did production on this film. I mean, this was almost entirely done remotely. And I think that that is a testament to everybody who works in Disney animation, that they were able to create something so amazing. Yeah, for sure. In their own homes, dealing, you know, with the same circumstances that we all were. Uh, they did start this in, in the office and then, you know, like everyone else, they got shut down. Um, so I wonder if that was maybe something that they didn't realize as they were recording the voice and just due to circumstances, they didn't really go back and correct it. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but I do agree there, there's some places where, uh, the sarcasm is a bit much or they let Aquafina go on, uh, Sisu go on a little bit too much because I believe Aquafina did improv she, a little bit. She ad-libbed a lot and, and a lot of people compared her performance in terms of the ad-lib to Robin Williams when he did the genie because similarly he ad-libbed a lot. But I don't think her ad-libbing is what caused a problem here when it came to Raya because Kelly Marie Tran's not ad-libbing. I, I think that she was just written... I think she was written a certain way. And, okay, like, if Anna from Frozen had said some of these things, you laugh because she's a goofball. But in this case, if I'm watching this quippy hero, it just seems like something out of the 1980s. Or almost comic booky. I'm wondering too if maybe there was an influence uh from you know those japanese action films could be because those were were very quippy some of them were yeah and some of them at times are a little cartoony and over the top it, it could be that they're drawing influence from there but what we do have here is an introduction to sisu and I actually, I can tell, like, in retrospect, I can see where Aquafina is ad-libbing, but I actually think all of that works, because I really like Sisu from the start, and, spoiler, because it'll come up again later, I really liked Aquafina in this role. I thought she was really good. I did too. I agree. Um, what I love is the relationship that Raya and Sisu start to develop. Obviously, you know, Raya has likened herself to a fangirl when she was talking about Sisu to Namari. And uh, you get a little bit of that, but not for very long because Raya's all business. She's on a mission and she basically shuts it down and she's like, all right, here's what we're going to do and we got to bring my Ba back. So I like that they didn't dwell on the shock and awe of bringing the dragon back for too long because the way that the relationship starts to develop is they are in stark contrast of one another. Sisu is just so excited to be back and she is so trusting right away and she wants to believe the best in people. And again, they use food as the metaphor here because Raya's got this jerky that she made and... Sisu eats it right away because she trusts Raya right away. No questions asked. And 
that is the only thing that Raya eats, even once they get to Boone, who's got, you know, he fancies himself a chef, and she thinks that the food is poisoned. Right. And, you know, Sisu even calls her on that. Yes. Um. All right. So now this all happens pretty quickly. Namari's back. They chase her away. We find Boone. How do you feel about how they introduce Boone? Does it work or is it too much? Where I mean, obviously, I understand. We will learn to understand he is a child living on his own, supporting himself because his family is turned to stone. But he's the chef and he's the captain and he's trying to be suave and he's trying to be really cool. Is it too much up front or do you think it works? I think it works because they didn't reveal that he lost his entire family right away. I, I, yeah, exactly. I agree. I think Boone comes on a little strong, but not in an off-putting way. I think he's very endearing. You may be led to believe that he's hustling for his family, but you don't really think about it until they later have the conversation where they all level with each other because it's padded with so much action. They have to get that boat off the dock and Sisu, who has made it abundantly clear that she is a good swimmer, she's like, I got this. And she goes in the water and she moves the boat along. And then you're so focused on Raya having to hide Sisu in dragon form that by the time they have the conversation about loss, you've totally forgotten that Boone is on his own. And what's interesting, too, is that this demonstrates another trust issue with Raya because she's not going to disclose Sisu's real identity to Boone. Right. But to echo what you said, I think it works only because we find out what we find out later. Because if he is just, like, fending for his family, then he's just the all-knowing child quip machine. Talking right. about things getting too quippy. So in this case, I think it does work. Right. And it really does drive home the loss that everyone has experienced because when they put the flowers in the water, they do one for every member of their family. So Raya has the one for her father, but Sisu had four siblings and Boone puts, I think, five in the water. There, there's like 10 flower petals floating there as a tribute to the family. So it's a very powerful scene to show how everyone has been affected by this. And again, I hate to say it, but such a parallel for 2020. Now we get to Talon, and this is where Sisu really learns her first big lesson because the whole time she's preaching trust, trust, bring a gift, bring a gift, and trust. And she trusts the wrong person. She trusts who she thinks is a nice old lady, and it turns out that it's the Talon chief who stole the gem piece from Denghai. And so she says to Raya, but I trusted her, but she was nice to me. It's it, it's a hard lesson for Sisu to learn. And frankly, it's a lesson that it, it's like she didn't learn it enough. You know what I'm saying? And like, I understand the purpose of the film was for everybody to learn a lesson. And technically speaking, Sisu was shot by the crossbow because neither Namari nor Raya trusted each other. But it, I don't want to say it cheapens it, but 
to me, that should have been the trust moment that blew up in her face. Right, because not only does it happen with Talon, she does it again with Tong, and there was a booby trap set up for them. Yes, when they were at Spine, yeah. Right, granted, he's the only one there. He's got to be, you know, he's got to have a means of defending himself, so he captures them, but... Again, it blows up in Sisu's face that she was trying to trust and it bit her. Um, You know, and they have that whole conversation beforehand about why you need to have your guard up. And Sisu is trying to teach Raya the lesson. And really, she's the one who has to keep learning it the hard way, which is also just juxtaposed against if Raya had trusted her found family this entire time. And told them who Sisu really was, they could have been helping her. Because Boone eventually does come to the rescue at Spine, but it's only by circumstance because Namari showed up. If she had told Boone, hey, I need you to watch my back, and trusted him with the secret that this is Sisu, they may not have even gotten captured in the first place. But I do love this balancing act of Ryan and Sisu's trust point of view because it's such a great build on character and conflict. Right. And then when Raya lets her guard down at Talon, when she goes to help Noi, she just thinks it's a baby that's been abandoned. It's a baby that's lost. It's a baby that needs help. No, this is a child with her pets that more or less run a scam, but that's how they are supporting themselves. Like, that's the thing. Like, Boone can sort of advocate for himself and he can cook, and he can operate this boat. I mean, Noi is just a baby. She's got nothing, and even she figured it out, and it's even more heartbreaking when you learn that she does have a name and what her backstory is, but I thought it was so interesting that you have both of these characters that let their guard down, and both of them ended up in some sort of peril for it. It's interesting that we're talking about this so much in terms of metaphor, that we're almost completely ignoring the plot because all of this build that's happening with the characters is juxtaposed against so much action. When Raya gets into Talon, she's up two pieces. Then she's immediately down when Noi takes them. Uh, She acquires the third one after she rescues Sisu from the new old lady chief. Yeah. Uh, and then they get to Spine, and they should technically be leaving with a fourth, but they don't actually get it from Tong because Namari interferes. It's not until they all escape and they're on the boat that he willingly gives it up once they level with each other. Right. Let's talk about this scene where Namari arrives because she goes back to her mother. She tells her she wants to assemble the royal army because she was the one we talked about the map earlier And this is how she has figured out every step that Raya has taken. And Raya knows that she's tracking her, and yet she's still going in the order of the map. Go figure. Um, But that's how she's finding her, and that's how she tracks her down at Spine. Um, This is one of the scenes... I mean, the fighting in this movie is so good. But the fight scene here, in particular, is great. And it's unlike anything that we have seen in a Disney film before, I would say even including Mulan. 
I totally agree. It's absolutely incredible how realistic it is. And at the same time, it does feel a little, I don't want to say cartoony. And I don't want to say animated because animation is obvious. But it's a lot like the setting where you get that realism blended with fantastical at the same time. Well, and this is where you're starting to see the influence drawn from those kung fu movies, right? Exactly. So, so like, it, it, everything here works, up to and including this really interesting transition with Numari, who has been a character who I said from the jump I don't trust, but she starts to have this inner conflict because with every piece that Raya gets and with every explanation that Raya gives her, you could tell that she's becoming more and more in tune with perhaps the reality of the situation versus the altered reality that her mother has sort of put in front of her. Right, because now she has also seen Sisu. Yes. She's seen her idol, and she's a believer. Yeah, I keep going back and forth about Namari because you never know what she is going to do. I want to believe that her intentions are pure, but they just keep getting clouded by trying to win over her mother. But I think we do get the real answer to that in the showdown where she's about to shoot Sisu with the bow and arrow. Uh, the tension in that scene is palpable, uh, you know, and it's such an amazing climax of all these trust issues that we've had. It's like, OK, what are you really going to do now? And. Again, I want to believe the best in Namari. I actually think that Raya is really the one who caused Sisu's death because she was the one who didn't trust. I mean, she saw Namari's hand on the trigger, but I don't know that Namari was actually going to do it. I think Raya interfered, and, and that's what caused it. And again, it's, it's a microcosm for everything that has happened with the breakdown of Kumandra. So here's the thing. Sisu's death is heartbreaking, but it's also extraordinarily predictable. When she it walks is. up to her, I trust you, Namari. You know she's going to get shot. I go back and forth on whether this is Raya's fault or not. I, I think that they carry equal blame because we what we know, based on what we've seen is that Sisu is shot by Namari because Raya threw a sword. But why did Raya throw a sword? First off, Namari pulls a weapon on both of them. But what, pun intended, triggers Raya is the fact that Namari is pulling the trigger. She is squeezing down on that trigger. Was she squeezing or was her hand shaking? She's squeezing it because you see the trigger move. You see the trigger start to depress. So she was pulling it. Maybe not pulling it fast enough where she would have shot her, but she certainly didn't let go of the trigger either. I think they both carry equal blame. It's a trust issue for sure. It works for the movie. But quite honestly, 
You couldn't trust Namari up to that point in time. So I really don't blame Fra- Raya for doing what she does. Right. But I think this was Namari's moment because she was hesitating and Raya fell victim to do exactly what she's been blaming everyone else for. Yeah, because the movie wants us to believe that. But you have a character that pulled a crossbow on you and is pulling a trigger. I, I, I'm sorry, but there's there's not much that... Let me if I if it were me in a real situation, I'm not hanging around long enough to find out whether or not I can trust this person. Uh, all I know is that they pulled a crossbow on me and they're pulling a trigger. I'm not going to wait long enough to figure out whether or not they're actually going to finish the job. I think it would have been so interesting. And don't get me wrong. I, I do love the way that this story unfolds, but I think it would have been so interesting to see this story from the vantage point of a dual protagonist where you saw Raya and Namari who are after the same goal and they still are in this movie. It's just that Namari is an antagonist because she does do things that prevent Raya from achieving her goal. But it just would have been interesting to see Namari progress as a protagonist and something that she did accidentally through Raya off as opposed to intentionally and see all of that lead to this moment. Yeah, it would have been interesting, but the moment is what the moment is. Um, And now with Sisu gone, with the gems losing their power, the drone has really started to take over. Um, Let's talk about the end of the movie here where Raya hands Namari her piece and the rest of them follow. Predictable? Yes. Perhaps a little cheesy? Maybe. But it works. It works that this character, and this is why it works, this character Numari, who not only is conflicted, but has done nothing, I mean, literal zilch, to show you that you should trust her, is the one that puts it back together and saves everyone because everybody trusted her. And that's really the purpose of the whole film. To me, that's why this entire thing works. Because if I'm being honest with you, one of the few flaws that I think the movie has, and it, and it not it's not many, I understand the message that they were trying to send trust but like I really understand it because at every which way possible you have to keep telling me about it to me the message is great but it loses a bit of its power because you're so heavy handed with constantly having to remind me hey this is a movie about trust issues so if I have any issue with it at all, that's it. Otherwise, I think the end of the movie works with putting it in the hands of Namari. I do too. And I think that that's why Sisu had to die. Because... Sisu has to die. <laughs> Sorry, that did sound kind of aggressive. Raya too. Sisu has to die. <laughs> no, I really didn't mean it to sound horrible. But story-wise... She has to die yeah, because yeah, if yeah. she's standing over Raya's shoulder going, no, trust her, give her the peace. 
then we really have no reason to believe that Namari is going to do the right thing. You had to have such a great loss. You had to give Raya a reason to really put all of her faith in Namari. And if Sisu was there, she was just never going to do it. And then the story goes nowhere, right? Because then they're just going to be arguing, you give me the peace. No, you give me the peace. What I did find interesting, though, is after Raya sacrifices herself, the rest of them could have probably just banded together and put the gem back without all having to be stonified. Um, yes, they could have, but then I think it does water down the effect of what they did. It does, because it is really sad to see Boone go because he looks up to Raya like an older sister. And I think it's even worse because of the bond that Tong formed with Noi because he remembers his own daughter uh, when he, he's like holding her and looking into her eyes and even the monkeys give you that one last yeah. hopeless look. Uh, you know, they, they really do stretch it out and sting you good here. And just as quickly as they all turn to stone, everybody comes back and they win and they defeat. Here's what I don't understand. And I guess because it had to come from humans trusting each other, I suppose. And and, and in a way, I'm glad that they don't explicitly tell you um, why after the dragon gem worked the first time, did the dragons not come back? Why did they come back the second time? I suppose it was because they needed the nations to come together to free them. Correct. But I'm okay with you not explaining that. You leave that up to me to determine because I think I knocked that one out of the park. But I can't think of a better ending to a film than the gem working one more time, the nations reuniting, and everybody coming back together. I mean, you know the movie's going to have a happy ending, right? We're not going into, like... uh, Raya and the Walking Dead, right? You're going to see this come back together, but it still worked. As 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 far away as you could see it coming, it still worked, I think, because of the way they pulled it off. Absolutely. All right, let's start talking a little bit about the characters here, starting with our title character, Raya, played by Kelly Marie Tran, was not the original voice actress cast in this film, Correct. She was brought in after they had already started production. I think this was a really good move. You know her as Rose from the latest Star Wars saga, but I'm glad that she was able to get herself a standalone film because I think she's endearing. I think she's funny. I think she's very talented, and I love the life that she gave this character. I think that's because Kelly Marie Tran is a huge Disney fan, like, grew up on it, uh... I know Mulan meant a lot to her. Uh, So you could totally tell that she wanted to put her heart and soul in this. And I I think that came across. Um, You know, I know we said that Raya was a little quippy at first. Uh, That's no knock against Kelly Marie Tran. Um, And it's not really a knock against the character because it's one little thing that you can overlook because I think Raya is incredible. Um, you know, like I said, one of the things that really caught me off guard about this film was I thought it was just going to be her trying to prove a point throughout this whole film and just fighting, fighting, fighting and 
may, maybe even proving her worth against the boys. And it's just not that at all. You have a really strong, two strong female characters because you have her against Namari. So not only does Raya set herself apart because she's extremely capable, she knows how to survive on her own. She knows how to fight without some elaborate training sequence, uh, even though we know she got that from her dad. It's totally different than making a man out of you, if you will. Um, she completely breaks the princess mold because after they pick up Noi and the monkeys, she tells Sisu, remind me to never have kids. Have you ever heard such an anti-Disney princess sentiment? No, but I like it. It was so real. I, I think that's it. I think Raya is like the most real character that we've ever had, even more so than somebody like an Anna who's a goofball. And I just love the way that they channeled these growing pains of learning how to trust through this character. And it's juxtaposed against Sisu, right? We mentioned before, voiced by Aquafina. I think that this is a fun character. Again, it's an endearing character. It's a sweet character. It's, it's a character that you have so much sympathy for. And I just, like, her style of humor is not for everybody, right? But I just can't get past how good Aquafina was in this movie. I think, I mean, as great as the whole cast is, I actually think she was the best part of it. Yeah, I loved Sisu so much more than I thought I would. And I think part of that was because... Aquafina was in so many films coming out at the time. I kind of felt like I wasn't getting into her humor and I was kind of over it before I had even seen this, uh, especially because in the trailer you see the part where she's like, look at how close my head is to my butt. And I was like, is that going to be the whole movie? Are we going to have butt jokes through this entire thing? She blew me away. I loved the comedy uh, and I love, 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 love the animation. Uh, I love stylistically the shape of the dragon and the color is absolutely stunning. Uh, you know, in wide shots, in close-ups, especially when Raya gives her that hug at the end and you really see the details of the fur, yeah. it's incredible. Gemma Chan plays Numari. I thought she did a fine job. I think that she pulled off the conflicted thing. I think she pulled off the tough thing. Yeah, she was fine. Yeah, I like Namari too. Like I said, I could totally live in a world where she's a dual protagonist. Uh, and I love her stylistically too. I love what they did with her hair and how they put the little beads or the, the rings around yeah. the braid. Uh, I just think she's so cool looking. How about her mom, Verana, played by Sandra Oh? Sandra Oh is good. You know, I, I mean, I go back to Arliss with Sandra Oh. I like her. Again, she's good in everything. She will always be Christina Yang to me. I love me some Sandra Oh. And so does Disney, apparently, because she was in Princess Diaries. Uh, yeah. Albeit for two seconds. But, um, yeah, I love her. You can't you can't go wrong with Sandra Oh. Isaac Wong plays Boone. A lot of fun. Just a good character. He gets better and better as the movie goes on. They told the line of being tropey but not all the way tropey and he works for the movie yeah he's a great sidekick and then you have uh then you have benedict wong as tong um again 
this is an actor that is just good in everything. Yeah. And then Daniel's Day Kim plays Raya's father, Chief uh, Benja. And I wish we would have had more of him just because I think Daniel Day Kim is so good in everything. Yeah. I mean, for as much as we didn't like Lost, I loved the character so much. He was one of my favorite things about it. It, it, I mean, if I had, if pressed to pick a favorite thing, but I really did like him in Lost. Um, I'll be honest, and I'm not going to make any friends here. I think he was one of the best parts of a completely overblown phenomenon. I'm yeah. sorry, but oh, I've I tried Lost twice. I tried it in its initial run. I try to rewatch. I I don't. It's uh, no. And this is after we honeymooned in Hawaii and got to visit the set. And we were like, oh, this is so cool. We got to get into that. No, no. Saw the bunker. Didn't really care all that much. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, final thoughts. I'll go first. I'm going to go first. Um, visually, the movie is stunning. Um, I think the characters get fleshed out well. Again, I think the message is beautiful, yet it's heavy handed. And I think it takes away from it just a little bit. When you have to tell us, you know, uh, you're, you're having this mind-blowing lesson that you're going to learn and trust. And you know it's about trust, right? And it's got to be about trust. It, you, you, you lose me when you have to tell me so many times. Because if you have to keep telling me and have to keep reminding me what the message is, that would imply that you didn't do a good enough job telling me what the message was. But the movie does do a good enough job telling you what the message is. So I think it was a little over-the-top that they kept going back to it over and over and over again. I think the score was excellent. I give them so much credit for going for it in these fight scenes. I love the homages that it does pay to those Kung Fu movies. But here's my thing. As much as I really enjoy this movie, and I know this is going to be hard for Disney, for the love of God, no sequels this movie does not need a sequel not even sisu needs to die no (laughs) no they don't need it you know eventually they're gonna do it you don't need it i i don't think you need to tell any more of this story what what's what the hell's gonna happen they're gonna drop the gem and oh we gotta go back do it again guys like there's nothing else that I think you can do here. I think the lesson was learned. The country is unified. The land is unified. The dragons are back. We, we don't need anything else. Well, I think that's a testament to how good the film is that you feel you don't need any more because it does tell such a complete story. Uh, to touch on what you said about the theme of the film being a bit heavy-handed, uh, I think for the people that don't like it, that's why I get it. But I think you need to look past this film being about one person's trust issues and look at it as a whole and how it parallels to things that we deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, I think that this film did hit a little bit too close to home regarding everything that we experienced in 2020, Uh, And maybe that's why it did feel so powerful and poignant and timely. Um, 
But I think where people didn't like it is because they weren't expecting this fantasy world and they weren't expecting the story to be so dragon heavy. So I think if you look at it as a metaphor and don't just take it at face value, that's where you'll appreciate this film more. I personally loved it so much more than I thought I was going to. Uh, It's absolutely stunning, like you said. Great characters, uh, great music. um, And the rewatchability for me is there. I enjoy it more and more every time we see it. Yeah, and they tell a full story, right? I think I've implied that it is a full story. Every character has a proper character arc, all of them. Um, and you do end up getting your happy ending. And we're interested in knowing what you have to say about Raya and the Last Dragon. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News This Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Whether you are looking for branding or graphic design, perhaps media kits, Kelly has you covered. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to go see everything she can do for you, especially if you're a Disney content creator, because that is her specialty, at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. All right, news here. We've got a little bit of Disney Plus news, starting with... Muppet Haunted Mansion. This is dropping on Disney Plus on October the 8th. I'm salivating. I'm so excited. I am so excited for this. I I hope that Disney starts to... First off, I want Disney to use the Muppets more. Just in general. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be amazing Like for every bad movie they've had? Just have the Muppets To replace it? it with the Muppets? Yes. Country Bears? They've already done Haunted Mansion, but Country Bears, Artemis Fowl. Could you imagine the Muppets doing the Black Cauldron? Yes. What I Yes, I, I can. I want to see the Muppets do Space Mountain next. I know they had Muppets in space, but I want to see them, like, if they're going to do this, I would love to see, like, Big Thunder Muppet. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> things, like, like, movies based on park attractions. I don't think every park attraction needs a movie. So for the ones that don't, just put the Muppets in. I'm so excited for this. I am too. Fozzie is the Hatbox Ghost. Come on. The Hatbox is going to say Waka Waka. I can't wait. We might... We already have a plan for October, but we might have to get this one in there. Maybe maybe we'll do it as a bonus episode. If time allows. If We have the month laid out. If time allows. Otherwise, you wait till next Halloween. Speaking of Halloween... Because it's Halloween, I think is what they're calling it on Disney Plus. You yeah. have Just Beyond dropping on October thirteenth. Eight stories from R.L. Stein. I'm pumped. I mean, I think they're going to be watered down. I really wanted to watch Fear Street on Netflix, and then <laughs> we actually canceled Netflix because by the time 
we watch the films for this show and do everything else we have to do and watch Big Brother. Uh, we, we have no time. There's no time for Netflix, so we just canceled it. We'll get it back eventually, but I really did want to see Fear Street uh, and see like the full Monty. So I'm not as excited for this, but I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, and then once summer's done and Big Brother's over, we're watching The Islanders three days a week. Like, we had no time. Basically, we watch Big Brother, Hockey, and Disney+. Plus. I'll watch NASCAR and I will watch football, but in terms of what you and I watch, it's really just those three things at this point in time. And Dexter's coming back, so I will sacrifice sleep for Dexter if I have to. All right, moving on here. D23 launched an app, and I downloaded it. It's it's in the Google Play Store, and it's uh, in the Apple Store as well. I really like this app, because as D23 Gold members, and we have been for a while, we have utilized certain on-sale experiences that a D23 member would get, but... It was always sort of antiquated to me, like the way that they would do it. You would basically just have to sit there and hit refresh like you would on a concert screen years ago when you would buy tickets on Ticketmaster. I love that with the app, you can do everything on the app, including buying your tickets to whatever it is that you're doing with D23, but they give you the push notifications so that you don't forget that the tickets went on sale. That's pretty great. Especially if you're interested in doing the tour of the Burbank studios, because that was something, uh, it, when we got to do it, it wasn't as widely available. I think D23 had like eight dates throughout the year. The fact that there was even one while we were on vacation was a miracle in and of itself. And I remember how badly we were sweating that one out to try and secure tickets. Thankfully we did, but I think this is going to make it a lot easier. It would have made that easier and it would have made it easier when we were shopping with D23 discounts in California because a lot right. of the restaurants and shops out there and even our hotel took a D23 discount. So as opposed And then to, half of them were like what are you talking about? They had no idea and then I'd have to pull up the D23 website and show it to them. And in the teeniest then, tiniest of fine prints. Yeah. Um it would have been so much easier just to pull up an app. So I wish we had the, we had it then, but we'll have it now. And you know they have discounts at, at Disney Springs in Orlando as well. So if you are a D23 member and you utilize the benefits of the discount program, I would implore you, if for nothing else, to at least put the app on your phone when you go to Disney World just so that you can pull the app out and show the participating retailers that there is a discount if you are a D23 member. With all of these apps... I bet you they'll do it. Disney's going to have to start selling the charger bricks because your battery is going to be dead. But but like custom ones, I'm talking about not just make them widely available, but you know how the magic bands, you put a character on it. That's what's going to be the new thing. These phone bricks. Go ahead, Chapik. Make more money. Greedy. Okay. Mm. Leave leave it there. It's a a family friendly show. We're not happy, Bob. (laughs) Um, all right. Uh, Talking about things that we are or are not happy about, October 1st coming up, Disney 50 coming up, a new fireworks show is coming to the Magic Kingdom. We have discussed that a couple of times. 
the show is going to be called Disney Enchantment. And we got a clip. It was a behind-the-scenes video with a little bit of a clip of the song, You Are the Magic, written by Grammy winner Philip Lawrence. I am such a sucker for any sort of Disney behind-the-scenes recording session. I don't know if it's because... We grew up in the era of watching Angela Lansbury do it for Beauty and the Beast and Robin Williams do it for Aladdin. But I, I, I just love it. You I love the it. recording You session. loved it when they did it in Into the Unknown. Oh, my God. No, that was just like a drug for me to see how that movie got made. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, you Are the Magic. It sounds, the, at the song sounds like a song that you'd hear at, a Disney park in a nighttime spectacular. For sure. Not like wishes, but okay. Get over it. <laughs> um, I got to be honest with you. When I heard this, there's a story because I haven't talked about Ghostbusters yet. There's a story and it's true because they settled out of court. You don't settle out of court if you're innocent. Ivan Reitman had approached Huey Lewis in the News to write the title song for Ghostbusters. Right. And they turned it down. So Ray Parker Jr. wrote, quote unquote, wrote the title track for Ghostbusters. Except what he basically did was he took I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis in the News off the sports album and sped it up and wrote his own lyrics over it. That's what this sounds like to me. Not I Want a New Drug or Ghostbusters. It sounds like they sped up Let It Go. In the words of Sisu, what? <laughs> um, yes, this sounds... You're telling me you, you didn't hear Let It Go at no. all? I And I'd be the first one to be calling that out. Um, no, it just... I, I hate to say this, this is kind of blasphemous. It sounds like every other thing. This is Disney 50. I really thought we were going to get so much more pomp and circumstance. And it sounds wonderful. It's a great song. But it is a Disney fireworks song. Period. There's no extra 50 magic i don't know i don't know well, we don't i, I mean, don't know what i was thing. expecting like, really but you, you only got maybe like a 15 second clip of it but it is exactly that it it just sounds like a disney fireworks show what i did really like because where epcot forever stands and the way that they incorporated waltz audio and all the old songs they're doing something like that i like that i heard lines like get on a magic carpet and uh I think they said go to Neverland. I forget what the lyrics are. So if we're hearing like a hat tip to all of our favorite songs and movies, I'm totally on board with that. So I'm looking forward to hearing more of that kind of thing. And I can appreciate the fact that he's a former cast member that oh, they brought for back sure. to do this. Yeah. So like, listen, it's I think it's going to be fine. But this is kind of my thing, right? To echo what you're saying for Disney 50, it's got to be better than fine. And if it sounds too much like everything else that we heard, you know, I know you don't like Happily Ever After. I love Happily Ever After because I love the song Happily Ever After. 
here's again, it's it's a very small clip, and and perhaps I will learn to love this. In the 15 seconds that I heard, and I can appreciate that you're tipping the cap to our favorite movies and attractions. I'm not hearing anything in that 15 seconds that I like any more than what I heard in Happily Ever After. I would even go so far as to say there's nothing in this 15-second clip that I like more than I heard in Wishes. So that's kind of my train of thought. I'm excited. It doesn't sound bad, but on my best day, I am cautiously optimistic. I honestly don't even think we're going to care by the time we get to see it because I think what they're going to do visually is just going to knock us on our butts. And that's probably going to be the selling point more than anything else, right? That Well, that's not to say that their intent was to do the song half-hearted. Sub- song. <laughs> but I'm just saying I think we're going to be so wowed it wouldn't really matter what we're hearing. I I think it's just going to be spectacular and I'm sure like everything because even eventually happily ever after did win me over it took losing it for me to realize what we had but I I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised we want to know what you have to say about the Disney news this week whether it be the Muppet Haunted Mansion the D23 app or perhaps this new fireworks spectacular or maybe R.L. Stein. you can let us know what you have to say about any of this on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all of that social media. You're going to want to do it soon because we've got a really big giveaway coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to tell you exactly when, Could be in the next two weeks, maybe the next week, maybe the next three. You're going to have to follow the social media to find out because you are not going to want to miss what we are giving away. So make sure you're following us. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Again, the email address is monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links to all of the social media, the email, the podcast, the Mark McGuire rookie cards, everything that we have, you can go online at, Mar- at margaritaville.com. At Mar- <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. And they're going it's to think so that we're late. giving away Mark McGuire rookie card. I'm that is so, not it. I am so tired. I have to go to bed. It's all online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.